Welcome back to another episode of the Fit Professional One podcast. We're going to spend some time today discussing corporate short-term focus in public companies toward making earnings and sometimes creating decisions that are very difficult in terms of a long view from a chapter fairly deep in one of Peter Drucker's books. The listener will know that I cite actually many of them are likely timeless and just get retooled to fit in whatever reality we find ourselves in rolling forward. But the one I wanted to talk about is where he talks about what is the purpose of play or where is the purpose of play? To quote him, he says, it rests within the user of the end product of that work. And I think that's really insightful. We are actually going to work to create utility for the ultimate buyer of our product and services, a baseline that as individuals, we are interested in finding more. And Mr. Drucker again uses an analogy of a wood carver. So we do have realities on this globe where individuals go to work as wood carvers to create products that are useful. Maybe they're custom cabinetry, furniture, even ornamental items that give us utility and joy in an atmosphere that we want to relax in. Then we have people that are absolutely passionate about wood carving and woodwork as a hobby. So in that case, what is work for one individual becomes play for another. And it exemplifies the point and the opportunity that if we're lucky enough to converge what we deem as play, if you will, we can keep it simple. Of course, we could use other descriptors there, but if we can merge or converge what we see as play or hobby into what we do as work, which is to create utility products and services for other people, we likely are going to find more intrinsic motivation in more direction. In fact, we talk substantially about self-direction. We talk substantially about self-motivation in all things leadership. In fact, there's even a term which I personally hold the opinion it's a bit of a misnomer, and that is self-leadership. I think self and leadership are actually mutually exclusive items, but the intention is legitimate in that we are trying to understand how to move ourselves on a daily basis to bring our very best work out into the world to not only make a living, but to find joy. And I believe along those lines, there's choices that we all make. And I really would like the listener to consider making choices that work to converge your idea of hobby or play into your idea of work. Now, not all of us have the luxury to just pick up and move. So there's a different way to think about this. And what I invite you to do is to consider aspects of your job which you hold in high regard. You find likely some joy in executing those tasks. You're likely very good at those tasks. You probably even lose time. Those are the things you do in your job where all of a sudden it's just after lunch. You send out a big old yawn and all of a sudden it's quarter to five and you have to do your timesheet or correspond with a core worker on something in the day's over. I believe almost every role has this opportunity as long as the individual works hard on mindset. It's a perspective. In other segments, you're going to hear us discuss the concept 
of zooming in and zooming out. I invite you to zoom out, float in the room, if you will, 10 feet above you doing the task and watch yourself do it. Where do you find joy? Where do you find the most enjoyment of what you're doing? And in fact, for the purpose of saying it, and then we'll leave it because I want this to be a very positive thought process with you. If you're finding great difficulty in that, that is changing your mindset to take a positive look at even part of what you do in a day, I believe it is your responsibility, which I've mentioned in other Marjorie Max Minutes and podcasts, to actually pick up and go find a job, go find a career, go find an endeavor and a pursuit that really jacks you up on a daily basis. If you don't do that, you're not only doing yourself a disservice and obviously your organization, because you're probably not bringing your very best. You're probably not bringing passion. When you don't bring those things, your creativity can drop and you likely even have fallout for your loved ones and your friends in your personal life. So that's the end of what I'll say on a negative kind of tone there. If you find yourself in that position, I don't recommend a knee-jerk reaction and just head out the door. For God's sakes, no, sit back and think about what you're doing and find out what you want to do. A simple T diagram from both management science and engineering, where you put the pros on one side and the cons on the other, things you like, things you don't like, at least do that. At least make a list, sleep on it a few nights, maybe even talk to some peers. I certainly would recommend you talk to your manager, even your manager's manager, and really work through that and be honest about things. Most organizations aren't going to walk you out the door. Some will. You have to take that into consideration. What your culture is, what the sensitivity of your job is, uh, the proprietary nature to it. All those things have to be taken into consideration to figure out what your action plan is. But certainly, certainly don't stay in a spot that you're just not happy with. So I'm also a believer that individuals have to motivate themselves and that management's role is to create the conditions under which people can be motivated. Again, a recurring theme, and it won't be the last time you hear about it from the Fit Professional One, because I think it's so important, and I think it's easier to say than to actually execute as managers. Having that as a backdrop for what I'm about to say, I want to review thought process or theory brought to bear by the two-part podcast recently on mental toughness from Rob Lee, an international cycling coach of pros and amateurs alike, and a world record holder himself, a retired pro athlete. He talks about level one, level two, and level three athletes. A level one athlete starts to dabble, doesn't maybe because their friends like it, finds a little bit of liking to it and starts to get after it. A level two athlete decides to get a little bit more serious. They enter competitions. They set specific targets. It could be, I want podium in my local mountain bike race. And they tend to focus on results and everything to get them results. And when the results either come or don't come, it has a significant fallout on them in terms of motivation and kind of retooling how they're going to go forward, not necessarily in a productive way, often in a productive way, but it can be very much about the results. So what happens is it becomes a drudgery. It becomes full of pressure. It becomes real force upon you, creating kind of a pain mentally, emotionally, and physically. Then we progress to a level three athlete. Level three athletes start to understand that there's a process by which we must be consistent 
We must do with forethought and intention. We must do this towards an objective. We must deliberately practice with purpose. And level three athletes love the process. The process matters to them more than the absolute objectives. Sure, they want to win and they try to win, but the process gives them tools to employ in the particular event in order to progress and make results that they can repeat later, and then they get right back to the process. The results start to be like signposts passing on a journey. Another phrase I've uttered in other Margin Max Minutes and podcasts. What we want to try on today is the idea of a level three professional, which I'm going to say corresponds largely to what I refer to as fit professionals. These are professionals that love the process of continual improvement. They love the process of learning. They love the challenge and the whole process of problem solving with intention toward a purpose, constantly trying to improve themselves toward that result. Once they get that result, they move on to the next one and they find joy in that process. I think this is a real important backdrop to understand as professionals, whether you're coming out of college, uh, going to work for a startup or a multinational conglomerate of three or 400,000 people. We need to understand the pursuit to be actually a level three professional. And one thing I want you to take away from this analogy or metaphor, if you will, is it doesn't matter if you're the CEO. In fact, I think it's more important for all of us as role players to find what we really enjoy in terms of the process and become a student of that process with continual learning and effort across the job, but in particular with with respect to those elements of the job that we really enjoy. So what I'd like to cover now, and really the theme of this podcast today is to discuss just what it's like to be a role player in what you can do and why that matters. And we're going to end with a concept of coaching up in the not too distant future. But first of all, when we accept a role, I want to quote General Legwald, who was on an earlier podcast discussing leadership and the principles that he learned and applied over a long and successful career. These were also endorsed and seconded by Colonel Yolitz two impressive career military veterans, which are now productive members of society as they work onward toward retirement. General Legwald in particular talked about when asked how should role players conduct themselves and how should team members come into an organization and what do you look for in people? What do you try to coach? And he said, everybody should bring honor, dignity, character, and integrity to their role. In other words, you are hired for a role where you come in with those attributes in order to perform the very best. You know, briefly looking at what the definitions of these things are to make the point, honor means with regard or to honor means to regard with great respect. Dignity means respect who you are, what you've done and the values that you have and you bring to the table. Character pretty much means the qualities that you have. And we all know there's good and bad character, but the intention here is bring good character to the interaction, which predominantly means do what you say you're going to do. So when you accept a role, the role is defined to you. You say, I accept the role. You are implicitly saying, I'm going to execute that role. So execute on the role. Don't get in there and find all kinds of fault with the role, but rather spend a lot of time on 
on the front end, understanding precisely what the role is and getting behind your ability to do it. And lastly, integrity, the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. This is really important. In other words, you bring to the table the fact that your word is good. You come into the organization with essentially a promise to execute the role. Management in turn creates that opportunity, gets you a paycheck and benefits, and it is a mutually beneficial agreement to get a role executed in an organization to deliver a result. Now, I'm not trying to simplify the realities that can happen. We can have organizations that do not do a good job of of supporting the role. We can have individuals that come in misunderstanding what the role is. And I know that my organizations by no means have we been perfect. There has been elements where new employees have come in, are new hires in a new role or new hires in an existing role, and things have gone spectacular in terms of a learning curve where the individual has been able to come down the learning curve and really contribute in a hurry. Other times, individuals have come into the company with what I regard as a high understanding of the role they're going to get in there. Now, along the way, both that individual and the company have missed something along the way that makes it very difficult for that individual to perform. And then, of course, flipping it all the way to the organization side, we have also had people come in, thought we had a good man, an understanding of the role and the role somehow transforms or develops or has a requirement that creates a situation where the person we hired just does not measure up or cannot do this. Now, in all those cases, there are actions that you can do to move forward. But what I really want to focus on today is the responsibility of the person in the role to really handle that role with honor, dignity, character, integrity, and respect. We also want to talk about with respect to what? Honor, dignity, character, integrity, with respect, not only to the role, but the manager that you might report to, the manager's manager, the mission and the purpose. Again, for the listener, I define mission predominantly as that set of activities that produces margin and the purpose for organizations would be where that organization reinvests its margin in its future. That would be purpose. So when you take a role at an organization, I believe you have the responsibility to not only understand the role, but the organization's mission, purpose, to understand your manager's role to the best of your ability. Not that you should be able to do their job, but what are the things that are important to the manager and the manager's manager? At least two levels, have that discussion, understand where all of those items fit and just how with what you do on a daily basis contributes to that. There's great understanding there. And this also sets up what we wanna talk about in a minute here, and that is the idea of leading upward. The crossover I like to use with athletics is the depth chart player. In other words, a football team, for instance, for those of you that might not know the term, will have two or three or four people that are competing for each of the 11 positions on offense, defense, special teams. And they will have a ranking from the starter through the last person on the roster. And what's very interesting about high levels of football, like the division one or very high divisions in college and the pros is that the depth chart player has tremendous honor and dignity with respect to their fans, really all their stakeholders. The starters, for instance, 
absolutely in successful sports teams and football appreciate the efforts of the depth chart player because that person's role is to show up every day and bring their very best to challenge the person in front of them and so on up the line so that those other people on the team can also improve their skills and ability to perform. I believe that organizations really are the same way. Even though we might have depth like a position in football where there's two or three of us, certainly there's organizations like that where we have functionality in a department. But by bringing the very best we can, if you can think kind of a depth chart as being the next level, being your manager, then your manager's manager, and so on up the line, your job is to bring your very best effort in order to make your whole department and your manager very successful at what they're doing and so on. So by understanding what drives that whole relationship, cause and effect relationship from what you do in a day, what your manager's responsibilities are, you are in fact becoming a highly valuable team member and demonstrating that you're coachable, that you're able to follow. And we have to do that, I believe, before we lead in most cases. And we're able to then create efficiencies and performance that really help the organization we're immediately in to improve. And while you're in this role, I think where leadership science, for instance, gets a little bit overreaching, if you will, by claiming a bunch of different attributes for leaders. Maybe that's not quite accurate, but my point is that, for instance, the attribute of listening isn't reserved for leaders. I think everybody in an organization needs to work on their listening skills. We need to listen to the other stakeholders in order to execute our role. So when we listen, we listen actively actively to try to figure out what else we can do to get our role done. And that, again, in both podcasts so far in leadership with the Marines and then an Army General and Air Force Colonel, listening came up frequently as an attribute of leaders. There was no mention that it isn't also an important attribute of the members of the team. I just want to emphasize this. I believe that building that skill starts immediately even when you're interviewing for the role. Listen attentively to understand what your role is. Listen to your managers. Do the exact same techniques. You know, read back to your manager. Say back to your manager what they've just asked you to do so you're sure you have it right. Listen by being completely present. Understand exactly what they're trying to say. And if you have any doubt whatsoever, ask and make sure that you understand it. And then when we get to the deliverable and what the particular results you've been asked for, make sure you understand all the attributes of that as well and then go to work. And those people you're working with as peers, it's the same thing. We need to really listen first at all levels of every organization. And I believe the role of listening is equally important for everybody in every role. I think the whole idea of what's termed as collaboration can be substantially more effective and we can avoid collaboration overload if the people that are responsible to contribute to the said decision maker really listen and understand what the decision maker's constraints and objectives are and not try to go beyond what the scope of the actual problem at hand is, but listen and then work very hard 
within a more, frankly, narrow scope of problem solving to get to an action that we can move forward. The truth is, in business, we never have complete information. And the big idea behind collaboration is to pull in other skills, diverse opinion, and experiences to find the very best solutions. But when we listen, it helps us to do our own funneling and sorting of what's important so we can do a better job of bringing forward that contribution we'd all like to make. Listening is also really exhausting and it's hard work. And I think that's one reason why individuals we see in leadership positions are frankly very good at it if they're able to flourish in those positions because they've been practicing very hard and they get quite good at it and they get a certain bit of endurance, if you will. Let's call it listening endurance where they can just bring that skill, what seems like endlessly day in and day out, individual after individual, group after group, customer after customer, and constantly do that. It can be exhausting. And so how do you fuel this? I really think the fuel to excel in everything professional has to do with your purpose as an individual. And when we're able to align that purpose back to our previous discussion on converging play and work to a point where it's exciting to us. Our purpose actually becomes the fuel by which we're able to move forward and get more done. I find that exciting and I think it's very, very effective. Okay, so I hope the listener to this point has been able to redouble their commitment to finding intrinsic motivation in their role so that you can bring the very best in terms of performance and results to what you do in a day. Again, the point is to very much take responsibility, to do the actions, to get your mindset right, to show up and get done what needs to get done within your role. Again, if there's any question in your mind, that's what your manager's there for. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But back to a sports analogy. I remember a million years ago in football as a sophomore, I was a really small guard. I think I didn't weigh 150 pounds. And I dreamt of being on varsity as I looked at young men that are 180 to 220 pounds. We weren't that big of a a school, but back then that was a big, big high school football player, especially in my eyes. And I really wanted to play up. I had a friend who was pulled up to junior varsity. And I actually had a couple friends that were pulled up to junior varsity. And this just didn't happen with me when I was a sophomore in high school. And that motivated me, motivated me to do everything I could. Back then, we didn't think I had to go get help lifting weights or how to work out. You did the best you could. I remember buying a couple training books put out by high school coaches. Oh, that was a long time ago in the 1970s. They were few and far between compared to what they are now and just trying to do the very best with what I could. The point is not to talk about my experience, but I think as professionals, we are all generally very interested in playing up. We want to go to the next role. We see parts of those roles and have ideas about what we would do in the role given those circumstances. And we're anxious to get there. And I know not everybody feels this way, but I really encourage you to consider that because it helps you be empathetic and understanding of what your manager's doing or your manager's manager is doing. They eventually are going to retire, move on, or get promoted. And even if it's not that direct line that's directly above you right now, there's other opportunities in organizations, even small organizations. 
Small organizations by their nature are going to need people on the front end to help grow those organizations. If you wait for the managers to give you the list of things to do, when you're already pretty good at listening and you're aware of a lot of things they want to do, but you're waiting for the direction to get going, that is likely going to limit what you're able to do in your career. It's going to also be limiting to your organization. So I think the idea of playing up is really, really important. And I know from athletics, again, 98.6 or something like that of us are done playing team sports and being coached in high school. I believe we should pull on that old desire if you've experienced it and use it as a mindset and a motivation to figure out how are you going to play up? Well, number one, you have to get your skills up. And to understand what skills to get up, you're going to do that by listening to your manager. You're going to do that by understanding what your manager does. You're going to do that by asking for more tasks to do. This is how we first lead up. We ask our manager what tasks to do. I know I've told my adult children going off into their careers now to go to their managers and say, again, when it's appropriate, hey, what could I do to help you get out of here an hour earlier on Friday night? But in doing that, you have to be ready. Ready to do the hard work to get done what the manager has to do because it is a conveyance of trust that the manager is going to do for you by actually giving them part of their role to execute or giving you more to do. So if that's a Friday, in my example, you better have a clear Saturday morning or really early Monday, which I personally would not wait for, to execute the task. This is how organizations move forward when there is a culture of many individuals and roles that are interested in appropriately playing up, not to gain advantage, not not to, you know, stack up chips to be repaid to you, not to get favors, not brown nosing or sucking up. It's none of that. What it is, is understanding what the role of the department is. And then that your role in the department, the manager's role in the department, that department's role in the organization and the mission, and then asking for things that deliver that, that also help build your skill set. This is the way we play up. And also, this concept is not new. It's been around, I'm going to guess, since organizations had any aspect of hierarchy and a good culture of managers and leaders with respect to everybody in every role and in a growth mode where everybody's busy. The opportunities that happen are very important. And that's one other thing is... By listening, we talked about that earlier. What you're looking for is gaps, gaps in the role of the manager. Frankly, I was told by one of my board members a long time ago to tell my subordinates never to say I don't have time, but to correct them and say, I didn't make that my priority. And to correct them and have them say, that was not my priority. And that's almost difficult to do with subordinates, but it definitely makes the point. And you have to have the right relationship and circumstances to get that done in order not to have it come across as too harsh, if you will. But in that situation, I call that plates breaking. Like in the old days when the circus had an act where an individual literally spun plates like tops and sticks with nails on them. And eventually that person would get to the point they couldn't keep enough plates spinning and certain plates would start to break. That's part of your role as listening and observational about your manager. 
where are the plates breaking because the department or the manager is running out of capacity and having to change priorities so certain things aren't getting done. And it's interesting, the plates that break often, often those are the exact items that enable the organization to move forward, to innovate, to chase excellence. Those are the things we never get to. Those are the things that we put off because we have to fill a customer order today. And yes, we do. We do have to fill that customer order today. But in order to move forward, we need to do that. So rather than be the one that wants the innovative thing, you'll eventually get there. Take something off your manager's plate so that your manager can chase excellence and innovation and growth. You are absolutely contributing in a big way to the organization. And eventually, you are going to work into the role of having more discretionary time to do those exact kind of items. And what's interesting about also playing up, and let's change it now to coaching up, and let's change it one more time, let's call it leading up. And all of those phrases are used out there in corporate America. I don't think the listener is going to find those new, but how often do we actually execute on the things that we know? That's what today's podcast is about. How often do we really do this? Now, when we lead up, when we are helping our manager or our manager's manager to execute their roles in alignment with the mission and purpose of the organization, that is outstanding. That is what you want to do. And just that positive energy that comes out of that kind of help is so good for organizations. And I think is also very motivating. If you like your career, which most of us like at least some portion of our career, to do that simple act of asking and then execute upon it is highly satisfying. Here's an absolutely brilliant side benefit to the people that originally started this is when subordinates do that, when they help their managers execute their role, guess what gets enhanced? Trust and loyalty comes back in that you're going to actually build the confidence of your manager in your ability to execute over time on more and more, and then you're going to get more done. Eventually, we are not after filling up your day. We are not after going from a 55-hour week to a 70-hour week. That is not the issue here. In fact, in the future, I'm going to talk about FTP or functional threshold performance. We'll just leave it for now. But the point is, is that occasionally you as a professional in any role have to really bring hours and effort for short periods of time. You should not have to do that for extended period of times. If your company defines a job as 50 hours plus or minus on average, that's what you should be experiencing. If they define it as 45 or 40, et cetera, that's what you should be experiencing. So the point is, when you ask for this, you are also going to get some more demand on your time. It is going to wear you out a little bit. So you're going to have to make sure that in the rest of your life experience, you create the opportunity to recover a little bit from the added stressors and loss of time in the other area of your life. But you do have to invest that life in to get the game. And we can't do that all the time, but we should do it at some regular interval in order to move our organizations forward. If you work at an organization where nobody's willing to do that, you're going to find a stagnated organization. You're going to find 
And I don't know that these are absolutes. In fact, the beauty of management science is almost everything we say in management science, we can find exceptions to. We can find contextual circumstances by which maybe the opposite is true. And I'll just kind of leave that at the side for now. But if you're in an organization where you feel like it's stagnant, maybe you've looked at management and say they're not doing their jobs, they're not creating the opportunities. If you're always looking at your organization saying, we need more people. Maybe your organization has an earnings constraint where they actually would benefit highly from you and your peers uh, working an extra five hours every other week for 10 weeks to make a gain to even just to help justify the next position or to make the gains to pile up a little bit of cash to be able to make the move. In large organizations, it's really not much different. Funds and time, even in multi-billion dollar organizations are limited and there's budgets and there's programs already committed. So anything that changes our ads still takes this kind of effort to make it go forward. And when you're in an organization that's really moving, that's really innovative, you're going to find cultures where people are indeed leading up. They're playing up. And in order to do so, they're also adding skills in knowledge and then practicing through deliberate practice to bring all of that to bear when they get that opportunity from their manager or when their customers come forward with an opportunity that provides that to them. So I get really excited about this, obviously, and I think it is such an excellent opportunity. And I wanted to expand on it from the last couple podcasts because it was brought up, but we could have just really elaborated on it. And I think in the future, I will get other managers and professionals and role players and depth chart players in to discuss just how this rolls out in their world so that we can benefit from the learning we might gain from listening to their stories. All right. The final aspect I like to talk about with this subject is there is an appropriateness to approach your manager. There's an appropriateness to bring problems to managers. And you heard it from the military guests that I've had on. We have read about this in early industrial engineering science in the early 1980s when I was at my undergraduate studies. I revisited this in my MBA studies through the mid 80s. As I go back in, my God, other business books, studying Drucker, studying Deming, all these more current, brilliant management minds and successful large corporation leaders, entrepreneurs know this. And the problem is we don't really execute on it on a consistent basis. Or I should say, if you find your company is a little bit stagnant or having trouble rolling forward, or even if you're having trouble with your manager or as a manager having trouble with your employees really executing, I want you to think about the appropriate approach to come to your manager. When there's a problem, what you want to do is bring courses of action. That's what General Legwald referred to. In my industrial engineering studies, we talked about alternative solutions. In my MBA, we talked about net present value in business cases. In all kinds of different professions, I think even in the medical community, there are alternative courses of action to fix various issues. Let's take 
If somebody's got substantial weight problems, maybe diabetes, if you read the book Outlive, you're going to find all kinds of discussion about various course of actions to handle that from exercise to diet to different kinds of medical intervention, surgeries, drugs. And that's the point is that most of the time in what we face as professionals, there are indeed alternatives. I find this the most fascinating part of being a professional. And I invite you as a role player, because we all answer to somebody, to really develop the discipline to bring alternative courses of action to your superiors. Now, in good organizations, they're actually going to have process around this. I will be back to you on other different kinds of media from the Fit Professional One on my particular initiative process, on my approach to just the whole idea of business planning, net present value calculations, and considering alternatives. But to keep it simple for today, when you have an issue, you have exercised your listening skills. You understand your manager's role to the best of your ability. You understand your role to the best of your ability, and you have a problem that's out there. What is absolutely empowering to you is I challenge you three courses of action, and I'm not talking about the do-nothing case. Leaving things alone and doing nothing is always a course of action. So I guess, not I guess, I'm actually talking about four courses of action. The do-nothing case is not the one we want because we are experiencing a problem which is leading to results that are below our expectations in a particular process or our customer's expectations or product quality or service quality, and the list goes on. What we want to do is get together what we think go forward actionable steps might be. We want to understand the impact to our measures through behaviors of people. So what is somebody specifically going to do by when, for how much, where, using what resources to produce a result that moves a measure, which in turn moves a financial measure, which in turn moves margin. If we use that simple rule, who is going to do what, by when, where, for how much, with what respected result across our three alternatives, we are going to discover the creativity that comes into that and thus the empowerment with the skill sets in our role. If you don't have everything you need, if you run into a gap in your skill set, knowledge, resources, ask for help. Get somebody else involved in the solution. Then go to your manager with not only the three alternatives, but your recommended course of action. You have three alternatives, actually four, one, two, three, four. We are not recommending the do nothing alternative number one. So is it two, three, or four that you are going to recommend? So let's say you recommend alternative three. You will be able to understand why because of your work on the other two initiatives or because of your work on the other two alternatives. What you're going to find out is a high percentage of the time, your manager is going to accept your proposal. In fact, we heard General Legwald say his experiences were about 90% of the time he went with the recommendation of the subordinate based across the courses of action they brought forward. In my experience, and especially in my organization I ran before I downsized it through sale, 
after a series of acquisitions, I found the same thing. I would have said it was more around eight out of 10 than nine out of 10 times. And the issue very much back then was limited capital in budgeting, which the person bringing the alternatives may not have known about. And we would then with scarce resources be forced to table occasionally some of the more expensive solutions to various problems or initiatives in order to move forward. But it was an extremely high amount of the time. So if you're a manager, come up with your version of that process by which your team can bring you courses of action that outline what needs to be done, that answers the questions that you are inevitably going to have. Hey, manager and leader out there in corporate America, you know what the top three, five, or seven questions you constantly have about courses of action that your subordinates bring. Hey, subordinates, all of you role players are depth chart players. By now you understand the question large that your manager or leader has when you bring courses of action. Let's not beat around the bush. Let's actually step up and do the hard work so that we can recommend these and be able to move forward. I believe that the rigor that you bring to your alternative courses of action is going to be directly proportional to the quality of the result and the impact on the organization in a very positive way. I love employees that bring alternative courses of action with a recommendation. And in particular, when it is clear and demonstrated even by the subordinate that the recommended course of action supports the corporate mission, but even starting back further, supports their role, the department department mission, their project's mission, and maybe their business unit mission in support of the overall corporate mission. And employees that take that role and do that hard work are able to really make a positive difference for their organizations. All right. I hope the listener has gleaned a tremendous amount from today's discussion. I very much reviewed some of the prior podcasts we've had and discussed in a bit more detail and depth some of those concepts. In particular, I want you to get excited about leading up. We have used what I think are synonymous terms, coach up, play up. All of these different references discuss the ability to understand our own role, take responsibility for it, and then be the catalyst to coming up with courses of action that we present to our managers so that they can make decisions and move the organization to higher and better places. We talked about the idea that your purpose will fuel your energy and commitment and willingness to go the extra mile for your organization. We also talked about the concept of becoming a good listener and how it's not reserved for leaders. I do agree wholeheartedly it is an absolute requirement to be considered for a management or a leadership position. And it's not just the fact that we hear, it's that we listen to understand, that we look at body language, that we ask clarifying questions, that we repeat back, that we ask revolving whys. And so the listening results in an understanding. And when we take that kind of standard, regardless of our role, subordinate, manager, organizational leader, we have the opportunity to then make a positive difference and define actions that are predictably in alignment and therefore approved and then acted upon to make differences and drive real results. 
in what we're trying to accomplish, as opposed to missing it all or in part in fueling items like endless collaboration or misunderstanding or rework, for instance, and delaying what really can be a positive impact on organizations. So in closing, my challenge to you is to consider, regardless of your role, you can be the CEO of a many thousands of people in hundreds of millions, even billions of dollars of revenue and assets. And you still answer to somebody. Is it creditors? Is it your stakeholder? In another podcast, we will spend some time. How do we interface stakeholders that are not internal to our organization? But for now, think about listening more actively. Think about creating a process by which anyone in your organization can bring forward ideas with alternate courses of action and recommendations go forward, which answer the questions you're going to have as the decision maker, which you'll have to define and train so that things can roll forward. And on the rare circumstance that impasse is reached, also think of your escalation process by which you go to the next level to get a decision. And think of that as very positive going forward. We'll expand on that in another episode of the Fit Professional One Media Alternatives as well. Okay, I hope you took a lot away. I really appreciate you joining me today. I believe that we have touched on concepts that can absolutely maximize your margin, optimize your team, and rescue your time, all three. So with that, I wish you the very best luck. If you're interested in getting some help, contact me on my website. You can benefit from a free consultation discussing your case, and we'll see where we can go from there. If not, I wish you the very best luck in your endeavors. Until the next time, I hope you have a fabulous week. It's time to get to work.